For more than 25 years, Atlanta has tuned into my straightforward financial advice. I'm Dr. Gene Hensler, and this is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. My staff and I will give you fact-based, no-nonsense answers to your financial questions. To have your questions answered on the air, send them to me, Dr. Gene at Hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, February 25th, 2017. The economic health of this nation has been... There are four essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline in the dollar. Lack of better word. Late rally on Wall Street. Too big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. Welcome. This is Money Talks. Good morning, good morning. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on the radio. I'm Troy Harmon, and I'm here today with Jim Crone. Good morning. And Jacob. Morning, morning. Jacob Keene. Jacob is uh, an analyst down in our research department, and Jim is a... Our insurance guy. Yeah, they invite me back every now and yeah, again. Yeah, that's right. He uh, he has all the knowledge on mm. every bit of insurance any man, woman, or child ever wanted to buy. I'll pay that twenty dollars later, Troy. Yeah, that'll work. Uh, <laughs> you got a few designations behind your your name, and I, I always remember one of them because yeah. I always say you're the only man I know who has a clue. <laughs> I had to C-L-U. go through a lot of education for that to get a clue. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. Formal. Well, Formal education. You uh, you got me beat. Yeah. Because I don't have a clue. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, in the insurance business, you got to come up with something clever, and that's how they did that, I guess. That's right. The so, standing, so what does though, it mean? It, it actually stands for certified life underwriter. Certified life underwriter. Um, so that's not like a life coach. No, it's no. much different. That's right. Does that's that mean right. you can tell me how long I'm going to live? Yeah, we can peg that. You know, we can wow. pin you down for the actuarial table and everything. I don't want to know the day. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, Please. Don't. What is it? Uh, I think Charlie Munger says, all you have to do is know where you're going to die, and then you just avoid that place. <laughs> there you go. There's strategy to it. Yeah, how about that? What else you got back so, there? I know you got something else. There's there is one designation. There is something else. It's called a CFS, and it stands for Certified Fund Specialist. I always have right. to emphasize the D because yeah. otherwise people always accuse me of the certified fund specialist. Well, oh, a the, man with a clue ought to know exactly how to. <laughs> that's right. How to have fun as well. That's right. That's what works. But anyway, those are the designations I've got. All right. So it's all focused on some kind of insurance, one way or, or the go. other, right? There you go. Good deal. Yeah. Uh, well, the I uh, guess we ought to talk a little bit about the stock market. Uh, and although Jarrett McKenzie is not here, I have to take my opportunities to make sure that he is called out. Mm. He is the only person who two weeks in a row has said the market was going to decline. <laughs> and poor Jarrett, not here to defend himself, but I would probably make fun of him if he was sitting next to me too. There you go. Uh, he, uh, he's, he's wrong again. The market's up 0.73%, a whopping 0.73% in a week's time. It's probably not a bad thing. Uh, but we've had quite a bit of rotation yeah. uh, among the sectors. Uh, Year-to-date, we're up 5.62% with information technology leading the way up 9.7%. Mm. We do have two sectors that are still negative, the same from last week. Um, 
That is uh, telecom, which is down almost 3%, and energy, that's down 6%. Yeah, well, uh, telecom actually came back this it week. It did, though, yeah. yeah. And utilities. It, it looks like it looks like a l- little bit of a uh, kind of a curve-flattening trade here, yeah, perhaps. It, it um, is uh, interest rate-related when you see utilities up 2.7% in a week's time, hmm. telecom up 255 uh, and this is uh, as of Thursday afternoon. We always record the show on Thursday for your listening enjoyment on Saturday morning. Uh, we've got to energy was the was the big laggard for the week, down almost one percent. Uh, anything else in there, Jacob? You'd care to point out? We've got staples. I, it, it feels like why would the market be up mm. in a week when utilities, telecom, and staples actually lead? That seems very strange. Yeah, um, it, it kind of feels like it's the mega caps here. I mean, we've got the Dow. Dow leading a little bit from the Nasdaq as well, with tech still strong. Um, it, it's hard to explain. I, I, I do know that the ten-year was down six basis points, and the two-year was only down one. So we, we have had a little bit of a flattening. Um, that right. may explain it a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I guess it's, it's, we're, we're finding what hasn't been working, you know, the previous few weeks, and buying that, yeah, Please playing a little catch-up. Catch there we go. All right. Uh, well, it is. Uh, we are in the middle of earnings season, so we just as well talk a little bit about the S&P 500. Uh, 450 of the 500 companies have actually reported by now. Uh, sales surprise has been positive, 0.39. Earnings surprise, 2.66%. So that's. Uh, uh, the market doing better than the analysts expected. Uh, big spots in there is probably the biggest is energy with a 9.7% surprise. Uh, the, the worst of the bunch, financials, which have lagged a negative 1.62%. Uh, you look at growth, which I think is probably more important than everything relative to what the market believes. And let's, let's face it. Uh, when the when the uh, companies outperform in earnings, it's actually a catalyst for the market to move higher. So that's uh, that's been part of it. I know you can call it the Trump bump, uh, the Trump rally, whatever you care to. But in reality, it's been there's been some things going on behind the scenes. The fundamentals are looking better as well. So uh, it, as where uh, as as growth goes, sales growth is 4.56 percent in the quarter. Earnings growth 4.9%, and uh, strangely enough, where we said uh, was a strength in the surprise, uh, earnings growth is negative 10.14% in energy. So the market, uh, the analysts in the market actually expected uh, earnings to be worse in the energy sector, uh, and we said financials were actually one of the weak spots uh, on the the. Uh, uh, surprise side, uh, they're beaten on earnings growth by 7.89%, which is uh, really good, but it's not as good as technology, which is a 10.28% uh, outperformer on the earnings growth. Um, Jacob, we got quite a bit of uh, economic news this week, and oh yeah, 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 we had uh, we had on Wednesday we had the uh, mortgage applications. Um, we saw the uh, composite index decrease by two percent. Um, Obviously, a little bit of rate pressure there sure. registering. Yeah. Um, we also had existing home sales on the same day, sure. um, which uh, rebounded in January, um, up 3.3%, which is a cycle high. Um, and it was broad. It was both single family and condos and co-ops. And all census regions were up except for the Midwest. Midwest. Poor, poor Midwest. Yeah, what um, do you think? The weather might have gotten them? Per, yeah, perhaps. Maybe, that maybe that so. would make sense. Hey, you know what? I was reading an uh, article this week. And uh, I thought it was interesting to know that uh, 37% of buyers in 2016 
for single-family homes where non-occupant buyers. I guess if you think that we're having that uh, that true change where millennials don't care to own a house, um, maybe maybe that's part of what we're seeing. You got any other ideas as to why I, we might be seeing that? I, it could it, it could I mean it could be flippers. No, honestly, with back that, to as, that? As, as tight as the market is, I. I it's it's hard it's hard for me to tell. What do they say when your barber starts talking to you about the next best investment? That's when they say. Hopefully we're not back to that. But uh, I will tell you, you know, no matter what, we we surely do have uh, uh, better credit in the in the uh, overall loan portfolios of most of the banks that we see. So it's this, in my opinion, is not another rerun of oh six oh seven oh eight. No, we actually have the hedge funds asking for uh, Fannie and Freddie to give some of their money that they're making. <laughs> and uh, well, we had a judge rule on that actually uh, this week. He absolutely. said that, no, they can keep it. They can yeah. keep it. Well, the taxpayers I mean, gave them money in the crisis, and now they came back and turned a profit. So. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how much you paid attention to this during the downturn, but uh, as I recall, Th- uh, Freddie and Fannie both came out and said, hey, look, we're no longer ran – for the benefit of our shareholders, don't expect it. Right, yeah. right. And, and maybe, maybe the hedge funds decided, well, they don't really mean that. No, no, <laughs> so they got no, in there and bought no. it up. Uh, prices have gone up substantially, and now they can't get any cash flow off of it because Fannie and Freddie don't have to give it back. They're keeping it. Yeah, that's a, a bit of a kick in the teeth. But, hey, um, it's one of the reasons we, we had folks ask about it uh you know, after the downturn, and I always told them the same thing. If if somebody stands there and tells me they are not going to run this business for my benefit, guess what? I find something else to invest in. <laughs> Somebody else is there. Yeah, uh, we had FOMC minutes. Now, this is interesting to me. The, the uh, Fed is out saying that uh, they're gearing up to raise interest rates fairly soon. They might have to raise interest rates faster than normal to keep inflation down. While they're talking that game, we have utilities and telecoms increasing in the market more than than any other sector right. so is this just confusion 101 it's 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 hard to say i i didn't take much away from the fomc minutes uh, i i did see that they were talking about perhaps sizably undershooting the long run unemployment rate and uh that they viewed the uh the inflation target, which I think is 2%, it has is, more yeah. or less the ceiling. So uh, maybe people are reading into that. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, I, the, I'm, I, I have a hard time understanding the communication from the Fed nowadays. Well, and I think that's part of their frustration. The market continually goes up. They keep talking about raising interest rates, and uh, nothing much is going on as far as uh, you would think that that investors would back off the equities a little bit in in a rising rate environment, but it surely has not been that way. Uh, last thing, Jacob, uh, jobless claims seem uh, relatively flat. Uh, Six thousand uh, new filings up to uh, two hundred forty-four thousand for the week of uh, February eighteenth. We get a little more chop around holidays. Uh, not really much to talk about there. Employment still. Yeah. Best around, right? Yeah, four-week average still at a cyclical low. So Absolutely. Yeah, well, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Money Talks.
dog of the week. So uh, I, I've more or less turned this dog of the week thing into a free uh, opportunity for Troy to make all kind of commentary, and uh, that's more or less what it is today. Uh, Jim's here with us, so uh, you know when we talk about insurance, insurance and financial planning both have uh, quite a bit of sometimes morbid conversation because we always have to think about how much money do we have, but even worse, how long will we need it? There you go. How long will it last? How long will it last? How long will we last? There you go. So uh, this is a a story out of the Columbus Dispatch, and I thought that it would be a good way to kind of make fun of, uh, make light of a conversation that uh, we tend to have a lot about death. Uh, This lady... Gene Odie wanted and got the last word, says this story. Uh, she, uh, this week, she um, uh, she passed away a little bit, you know, toward the end what of last happens? week. Sometimes yep. that happens. It does. She was 91, so she, yeah, she lived she quite a, a while. Long time. Good. Longer than most. Uh, but she took out an ad uh, in the dispatch. Cost her $1,250. It was a full column uh, wherein she talked about her life and uh, what's to come. Uh, She started out, I was born, I lived, and evidently I died. (laughs) She, she, uh, uh, they say that it was, uh, I I won't do this on the radio, said it was filled with expletives, uh, had a take no guff theme. Uh, She considered herself uh, uh, to have a well-earned doctorate in B-word-ology. (laughs) <laughs> you decide what that means. Uh, but anyway, she, she went on and on uh, some of the funny things out of here. Uh, she talked about uh, she had um, she had uh, amassed quite a, a pile of stuff. Uh, again, okay. you know, too many expletives. And she said that, uh, you know, if you needed any of it, that you probably could wait a reasonable period and then come to talk to, to uh, her daughter and her granddaughter who were going to be left with uh, having to siphon through it and get rid of all the stuff. So uh, I just thought Fire that sale. it was a, I thought it was real funny. In fact, at the very end, she said that, uh, uh, you know, talked about uh, service will be held at 11 a.m. on Saturday at uh, Brookdale Trillium Crossing Senior Living Center, mm. gave the address, and then said uh, it'll be followed by an after party. They're going to have an after party. Wow. From the wake, uh, they're going to have White Castles, pizza, Krispy Kreme donuts, and booze. <laughs> there you go. There you 91 go. 91-year-old lady making light of uh, her situation funny. even beyond the grave. So I love it. She I said, uh, it. don't cry because I'm gone. Instead, have a drink and be happy you knew me. There you wow. go. So maybe that's the attitude we her. should think of when, uh, yeah. when we're putting together. I hope her policy was... Premium paid. You know? <laughs> there you go. The insurance guy comes back out of jail. <laughs> the man with a clue. That's right. Well, sometimes. Certified life underwriter. There you, go. there you have it, folks. All right. So, uh, again, not a dog of the week, but uh, something funny that I, I found interesting in the paper this week. Well, she got to say it in her own words and for only 1250 bucks. Oh, only yeah. 12 Guns blazing went yeah. out. No doubt. I think it's probably smart. All of us get a little bit of a of an uplifting message when you have somebody that takes uh, takes their situation and makes it into something fun, right? There you go. There we go. There uh, we go. So, Jim, we've got a uh, yeah. case study this week. We wanted to talk a little bit about uh, uh, this is a, a situation you might have run into a time or two, right? There you go. We're finding actually more and more uh, with stabilization in the economy and with businesses beginning to get legs underneath them, 
they're starting to see growth. They're starting to see uh, options and opportunities out in the future that allow them better perspective on wanting to make sure that they keep a team together. Uh, if they've amassed a, a good organization and they have a core team of people that they want to make sure is going to be with them as that business continues to thrive and grow, uh, one of the things that we're finding, we're having more conversations about non-qualified benefit plans. All right. And at the core, um, it allows ownership, whether it's a single person or a group of people, it allows ownership to identify those key people in that organization that are going to help carry it into the 10, 15, 20 years into the future. And they are benefit plans that are crafted and created so that they can keep those folks in the company. So key employees, key employees looking to retain them. That's the big idea. All right. Now, from an ownership standpoint, the other angle for that is that it's an avenue of types of plans wherein they don't have to give up equity. They don't have to right. give up ownership. And so right. it kind of works on both sides of that ledger. It allows ownership to say, okay, well, we know we're going to have to have these key guys and gals to make this thing really hum for the next several years. And instead of us dangling the carrot of percentage of ownership, while that can be there, these types of non-qualified benefit plans really come into play to allow them to do that, and it gives the executives um, types of retirement plans. Those are typically the the conversations that flow from these things. Okay, so non-qualified benefit is going to be retirement. It's Keyed in on primarily retirement. So they have a compensation package already established for any and all of these executives. These types of plans, non-qualified benefit plans, come in over and above those regular packages that are already in place that, you know, are there and competitive. You would just make the assumption they are competitive. In the example we have today, uh, what we had a situation was was a, a large manufacturer um, that had a tough time in their business, and they had to come in and get a turnaround specialist. Well, they got the guy. The person came in, and, and after a short period of time, they really figured out that this was the one they wanted to make sure was sitting in the seat for the next 10 years. Sure. And ownership said, okay, well, what are the type of plans that we can work our way through? And what we did was walk down a series of types of plans available. The one settled on by this particular company was something called a Supplemental Executive Retirement Plan, SERP for short. All right. SERP. SERP. That's, uh, your, that's your southern drawl pulling it out. Oh, but I'm it's sorry. SERP if you're... This is not what you get at the Waffle House. No, no, All no, right, no, something no. different. This is SERP, S-E-R-P. Uh, okay. But um, the main idea was they needed something that would be comfortable for the corporation to fund today, and it was an agreement. It was a drafted legal document between the executive, excuse me, the corporation, mainly the owner, but the corporation and this executive that spelled out what happens over the next 10 years. They said, look, if you're going to stay with us for 10 years, at the end of that, we're going to generate a payment to you for your retirement for, in this example, $200,000 a year. Now, sure. this is over and above anything that he already was taking him home in income and so on and so forth. The corporation then has a decision because it's a it's a, 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 a it sits as a liability on the books because it's a uh, agreement between the the corporation and the executive, and for the ten years that the individual is working, 
it sits now as a liability. Sure. And so they then have to make a separate decision on, well, where is the best place for us to put the funds set aside and also sit on the books of the company so that when we actually do have to pay out these obligations, we have funds ready made to be able to do that. And what we've talked to lots of different clients about is the best avenue to be able to use that is a life insurance policy. Okay. Because it has tax-favored treatment during the accumulation years right. and can then be distributed from the company, can be used in a tax-favored way to be able to pay those executive payments when and if they come down the road 10 years from now. All right. So it, it's got some real... Uh, neat uh, attributes to it. Uh, there's a very specific type of a design that we focus on. A lot of times what we've come into is lots of people can have general conversations about life insurance. Sure. They, you hear things, buzzwords like tax-free growth, tax-free access to income, um, but it's the design of the policy that makes it attractive. Uh, we've seen there used to be a, a study done annually by an executive benefit group um, for Fortune 500 companies. And they first asked how many of those companies in the Fortune 500 have executive benefits or non-qualified benefits. Virtually all of them, 97% have, really? have types of non-qualified benefit plans. Further on into the survey, you find, well, the, what is the asset of choice for the executives or for the uh, the corporations to use to fund those kind of benefits? And 67, almost 70% of the time, those are specially designed life insurance policies that back up those promises that are made to those executives. And really, when you really cut right to it, it's because of the tax-favored treatment that is there inside life insurance that gives them the, the wherewithal and making it economical for them to be able to manage both the promise made to the executive and the asset on the books. All right. So uh, this is like most other insurances. Uh, you've got a premium that you would pay. Absolutely. And in this particular example, we, we funded a particular life insurance policy over a 10-year period stopped the premiums, and then was able to draw out the necessary income so that that corporation can make those promised payments to that executive beginning in the 11th year. All right. Well, Jim, sure. I've got a couple of questions. I think we can sure. hang on till after the break, but let's take a real quick break here, and uh, we'll come right back. You're listening to Money Talks. Hang on. We'll be right back. Into Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon. I'm here with Jim Crone and Jacob Keen. We're answering all kind of stuff, uh, talking a little bit about uh, insurance and ways to incentivize employees when we last were with you. So uh, I have uh, I have a couple of questions for you, Jim. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can answer. Uh, first of all, uh, so if a uh, if a business is uh, in uh, in some sort of an issue where yeah. they have to have a turnaround guy. Yep. Uh, quite often the, the equity incentive is huge for them, right? True. Uh, how does the insurance act as an incentive as well? Is that 
something well, that you're concerned with? Well, it's important to recognize that the insurance is somewhat of a byproduct. of It's a tool being used by the corporation. The real hook for the uh, turnaround in this particular example is the it's called a non-qualified benefit supplemental exec retirement plan. So that's that, a mouthful <laughs> of words. They 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 shorten it for SERP. That's where that's there where we it comes. So the hook was to uh, not give up equity, and that was a you know family-owned business. They've been at it for many many years. They right. they did get into some challenges, and they did identify the key pe- key person that was going to come in and help them. And in fact, they did. They did a phenomenal job. And the corporation said, we need to figure out how to keep this guy. And instead of giving them equity, it was aligning the motivations so that the executive is there to make it happen and make that uh, next successive management successful or set them up to be successful so that he knows he's going to continue to get those payments from the corporation. All that, it's aligning that motivation uh, for a supplemental retirement plan, and for the executive, excuse me, for the corporations, they just didn't want to give up. Just to maintain re- the uh, ownership. Yeah, they just needed debt. and wanted to maintain a family-owned business, and uh, it worked out really well because um, the insurance again was a byproduct altogether. Insurance was a tool used by the corporation under a tax-favored instrument, so that they could they could grow the assets on the company books sufficient enough to make the payments that were going to come beginning in the 11th, 12th, 13th year. And that was just the way that it worked out. Sure. So, uh, so usually when a company's in a spot like that, needing, uh, needing a bit of a turnaround, sometimes it, it's uh, difficult for them to, to make those kind of payments. I know if you just handed a, an executive equity, it would be painless to begin with, but, uh, you know, it could be very, very expensive if things sure. went right, if things went well. So, uh, do you do you think that would ever be something that's a worry or? Well, anytime you're into the conversation about a non-qualified benefit plan, one of the factors that is brought up is a substantial risk of forfeiture, and that's a real issue, right? If you're the executive and you have an agreement, you have a piece of paper that says, "Boy, I'm going to get these payments starting in the 11th year." That risk of forfeiture is real because if the company goes away. So does your retirement plan. Yeah, right. So the incentive is there. The incentive is there for making sure that not only he's doing all that he can to make that thing work, but setting up successive management so that they are successful. Sure. Um, So all things considered, it sounds like like it could be a a great alternative. It works well. Um, It's interesting. We do find that, again, back to the survey, there's Fortune 500 companies that just do it as part of their package. I mean, yeah. it's regularly available. A lot but of them give equity as well, though. They do. Yeah. Um, it's a little easier for them because it's a maybe on, you can look at it on the market. Sure. When you're down market and you're talking to businesses that have been in the family for generations or sure. uh, they just have a different thought related to giving up some of that equity. Yeah. But the issues that are available for the non-qualified plans at the Fortune 500 level those concepts and those types of plans can and certainly are available when you move into the middle, small market, whatever your definition of that is. Yeah. And uh, they they can be very good and useful tools. Sure. So, Well, there you have it, folks. Jim Crone, a man with a clue. <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. <laughs>
All right, so uh, we're here to answer questions for our listeners. And uh, if you have a question, you can always reach us at uh, via email at drgene at hensler.com. That's spelled H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. Uh, you can also call us locally, 770-429-9166. Uh, you can also send in your questions via our hotline. And I think we have one of those later that we'll get to. Uh, the question hotline is 1-855-429-9166. Uh, Jacob, we got a few questions this week. And uh, one of them that's uh, at the very top of our list is uh, Brian from Woodstock. His question is, uh, I'm interested in the company Zendesk. Uh, my company is using their service, and from our perspective, it saved us money. The other company we considered was Salesforce. I've sat through their sales pitch. How do either stack up as an investment? Uh, right off the bat, I will warn you that sometimes awesome companies with awesome products don't always make the most awesome of investments. <laughs> um, right. I'd, I'd be interested to see uh, what the pricing difference was between Zendesk and Salesforce. <laughs> well, what's your notion? You think? Uh, uh, I, I think there's. I think it's a competitive market. I, 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 my uh, my prediction would be that Zendesk undercut them yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I would have to guess too. Uh, so when you look at Zendesk, it's a soft, software development company. It provides software as a service uh, for a customer service platform. Uh, on the other hand, Salesforce is a. Uh, in fact, their symbol is CRM. Uh, customer relationship management. This is one of the things that I talk about quite frequently about uh, how uh, some of the innovation that we've seen lately is not always uh, uh, the most uh, productivity focused. But in this case, CRM I think comes about as close to, uh, to right, right. Yeah, I, I think it's a benefitter. I think it's a it's slightly different mark. I, from looking into Zendesk, it looks like their tilt is a little more towards the customer service support. Right. Um, they they do have some automation with that as far as the uh, the typical queries that a, a customer may have and being able to automate that process where you won't have have to have an employee on the phone answering questions, sure. things like that. My concern is this company still seems a little fresh. I mean, we, we've yet to see positive earnings. We've got eight straight right. quarters of negative earnings. And exactly. My, my typical investment philosophy would not put any money to work here. Yeah, well, when there's no earnings, I, I think it's very difficult for a person who's analytical uh, as a financial analyst, uh, such as yourself and myself, uh, it, it, it makes it difficult. When I just look at one number, EVA spread, which is uh, – uh, their return on invested capital minus the cost of that capital. Uh, Zendesk, negative 45.89%. Their operating profit margin, negative 39.3%. Everywhere we look right. for a profitability measure is negative. Mm. It's very difficult for me to say Zendesk would be the best. You probably got a deal. Uh, They're getting you know, aggressive, yeah. That's the, that's yeah. three-year revenue growth at 133%. So yeah, how exactly. they're accomplishing that might might be hurting their margins, apparently. Yeah, so if I were looking at one or the other, I would say CRM is better. Um, it's still pretty expensive with a P.E. to growth ratio at 3%. That's uh, the forward P.E. divided by the expected growth ratio. Uh, it, it's it's uh, Usually we like companies around 1%. Uh, if we're going to invest, again, EVA spread and some of the other uh, operating profit margin is positive on CRM, but it's only 1.2%, uh, three-year revenue growth at 25.5%. So it's growing revenues. It's just 
still, even it is not all that profitable. And you look at the EVA spread, again, return on invested capital minus uh, the cost of that capital, negative 7%. Uh, still not a whole lot to be really excited about here. No, no. And there's a few comments I would have. It, it, it kind of feels like their core product offering is kind of maturing here. Um, so some of that prior development expense might not be as heavy. They'd, I think they have some cross-selling opportunities. The, the other comment I would have is their CEO. I, I really like his philosophy. He's a, he's stakeholder-oriented and not shareholder-oriented. So I think that has staying power in the market. But you're right, the fundamentals aren't great. Uh, I mean, looking at valuation, uh, price of sales is close to in line to historical. Maybe we get some margin improvement here. But again, it's it's not, not an opportunity I'm really looking for. Um, yeah, nothing real exciting. So uh, we'd probably pass on both Zendesk and Salesforce.com. Uh, here we go, guys, with the uh, question that we talked about. It is an audio question. I'm going to run this audio, and then we'll answer the question when we're done. Hey, how's it going? This is Stephen Marietta. Uh, my question is, for someone that's new to stocks and is interested, what is the essential tips that you need to know before you're really starting to invest in stocks? For example, I'm really into Google. What would be the tips that you got to know before investing in this certain stock? Uh, thank you. Well, there we have it. Steve from Marietta wants to know uh, how you invest in stocks. What do you look for? I, I mean, in a nutshell, the three things that I look for from a stock, uh, it's generally growth, profitability, and valuation. Uh, it goes a good bit beyond that, but you can winnow right. them down to those three uh, basic details. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into that. He's talking about Google specifically. One thing that I would warn before you even – uh, assume that you're ready to talk about uh, investment in individual stocks. And, guys, we're going to wind up having to stop here. But uh, are you really ready? Let's, uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about uh, Google and investing in individual stocks. But uh, we're going to take a real quick break before that. You're listening to Money Talks. To Money Talks, a little bit of Eagle's Life in the Fast Lane, just for uh, good old Jim Crone, the insurance guy, you know, living on the edge. Certified fund manager, I think he said, or specialist. Yeah. He's living life in the fast lane. Depends on how you want to emphasize it. I can be fun or fund, however you want to play. No, I said fund. I know. Did you not hear me? (laughs) I heard it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Just, uh, just trying to help you out, Jim. That's good. All right. So uh, when we left, we are, uh, we're answering the question from uh, Steve and Marietta, uh, where he had uh, sent us a audio uh, asking about investing in individual stocks and more specifically Google. Uh, Google's a company that we we actually are uh, we recommend to, to most of our clients. Right. Uh, but let's let's do talk a little bit about what would make it reasonable yeah. for you to invest in uh, in individual stocks. So I think one of the things that you have to look at is the fact that uh, in order for you to buy stocks, it costs you a little bit of a commission, and that commission seems to be getting cheaper all the time. I know just this month uh, Schwab dropped their 
uh, per trade commission from 895 down to 695. So uh, we're getting to a spot where if you were to put together a portfolio of 50 individual companies, it would cost you about $348, 347.50 to be specific, uh, in order for you to buy those 50 individual stocks. Of course, a lot of work goes into it before that, but uh, I mean that would only be 1% on 34,750, which is probably still too much. Uh, but think about it, if you had $350,000, which is a, an achievable uh, amount, um, you know, if you save right and, right. and uh, live long enough, mm-hmm. uh, you're down to 0.1% or 10 basis points, which is really cheap for a commission. So a portfolio in that range makes real good sense for you to uh, uh, to, to want to get out and, and try to buy individual stocks. One of the things that we do like about uh, buying individual stocks uh, we focus on high quality, so uh, when we, uh, the reason that we buy individual stocks in our client portfolios is so that we can avoid uh, buying the junk with the good. So uh, you know, you hear a lot about passive investment these days. Uh, if you don't want to want to worry about uh, selection uh, within your portfolio, you know, it might be an easy way to do it. But about half of the stocks in the S&P 500 do not conform uh, to our uh, high quality standards. So um, you know, you can't. It, it's it's uh, pretty tough to get that exposure without uh, buying individual stocks. And the other thing is, you can you can manage your tax situation with individual stocks as well. But just you know, this is not where you go for your first investment. If you're gonna, uh, when you're getting started, you probably are better to buy uh, either a mutual fund uh, with a with a relatively low cost basis, so that you can um, you can buy with with one transaction, you can get a, a right. diversified portfolio right. just as you could with some of these exchange-traded funds. From there, Jacob, what do you think about Google? Um, and, and well, what, I, let's, I, let's take it from the point of view of, hey, I'm just going to buy this thing. What do you look at first and then kind of step us through the process, if you don't mind? Um, okay. Um, well, probably everyone's favorite is growth. We want growth. We right. want our money to grow. So um, I'd, I'd probably look at that first. Um, I'm also going to look at valuation. So there's a lot of there's a lot of metrics for that: PE, price to sales, price right. to book. When you talk about growth, if you don't mind me backing up a second, there's two different kinds of growth. We look at revenue growth, which Amazon is good at, right? And then we talk about earnings growth, which you know you're ultimately as an investor you want cash flow. So in order for the company to give you money back, they actually have to get some money to the bottom line, the the uh, net earnings, right? Yes, yes. So yeah. Amazon's not as good at that, right? No, no, no. But I, I, I would not shot. I, I would not say that I'd solely look at earnings growth. I want that that earnings growth to be driven by sales growth because otherwise they're just improving margins, essentially yeah. gutting their customer base. Right. There's so much. There's only so much you can squeeze right. out of that lemon. Right. You can't get all the juice out. And once you do, you're you're done. You got to grow the top line too. So yeah, good point. Right, and um, I guess uh, I guess beyond that, I'm just looking for financial strength. So uh, you know, the quality of earnings, you can you can look at um, some metrics for that, and also just leverage as a whole. I mean, how 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 are you delivering those earnings? What does the capital structure look like? You can use uh, debt to equity as a heuristic for that. It's a great thing to look at. I mean, how much debt do they have? How, how much are those earnings at risk? If they do go through a, a downturn, right? Because you can't just re, you can't restructure most of the time just in uh, in the blink of an eye. If uh, if the business cycle goes against you, you got too much leverage, 
you still have to make those payments. You oh, still yeah. have to mm-hmm. service your debt. One of the things that uh, that investment analysts focus on quite a bit is uh, return on equity, and we all know that uh, if you get more leverage, if you if you uh, finance your business operations with debt more so than you do with equity, then you can ramp that ROE up significantly. Oh, that's yeah. one of those things that you got to look for, though. So mm-hmm. if if you've got a company that's got significant debt especially relative to other peers in its industry, uh, that's probably a warning sign, wouldn't you think? Oh, sir, Valiant is a great case study in that. They, I think they're levered seven times. And so their ROE, ROE looked great, but, not, I yeah. mean, look, ROE. At the, look at the stock price. <laughs> yeah, so, so basically if you find two companies and both of them have the similar return on assets or ROA, uh, and one of them has a lot of debt and the other one has no debt, uh, the one with a lot of debt would look much better, according to the return on equity, right? That's true. Because it's true. it's used uh, it's used debt to uh, to fund its uh, operations, um, but that also means that there's a whole lot more risk there. So if, just because you have a lot of uh, a significantly more attractive ROE is not always the best investment choice. Um, so uh, to to further answer the the Listener's question, as far as Google gets me very excited, um, <laughs> I, I, joke with, I joke with Troy, uh, I think it was a year or two back, um, Google had an antitrust case in Europe. I, I joke with Troy, what I want to own is monopolies, and I, I think with Google, you've got a core business with a, a strong moat. I mean, uh, you, you got market share penetration of 58% with Chrome, 20% with Gmail, and who uses any other search engine than Google now. Right. So sure. as far as advertising revenue, they're going to deliver strong cash flows. It's going to pace with e-commerce there. And they use some of those cash flows not just for dividends. They don't have dividends. They actually use those for some big ideas, their moonshot lab, which is going to include you know autonomous driving, right. smart home technology, a lot of really exciting things. So I feel like you're getting a nice nice cash cow there with, with a lot of upside. Yeah. And, to me, to me, with that taken into account, I mean, you see a PE of 30. It feels like it kind of makes sense. I mean, they feel it feels like they're a leader in autonomous driving, and, and some of those other opportunities are huge. Sure, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I would warn you against, I know it's a lot of young folks, and I don't know if Stephen is or not, uh, but they like to focus on the latest technology, something that's real fancy. True. Just as our conversation with Zendesk and CRM or uh, Salesforce.com. Uh, just because it's a neat little gadget doesn't always mean it's real profitable. One thing that I'll tell you, and this is this is a, a point to be made, Google is a, a huge company. It's one of the largest in the uh, S&P 500. It's only 21 years old. This was a, a dissertation yeah. project from Stanford University. Sergey Brin and uh, what's his cohort? Larry name? Page. Larry Page uh, came together to try to solve an issue and and turned out with this awesome company right. with great uh, uh, profit and, and uh, great revenue uh, production. Um, but it can uh, they, they purposefully uh, cannibalize themselves so that people outside can't do it because in technology it's it's not too tough right. to, to be gone tomorrow. you know some new yeah. technology come around come along and knock you off. Well, guys, let's uh, answer one more question. Hopefully, Jim, you can do this quick. Uh, yeah. Marvin from Atlanta says, I, can I deduct premiums paid for long-term care insurance, or LTCI? You like those? Yeah. yeah. We like the uh, acronyms. but yeah. Clearly. The, um, 
the short answer is um, you can as an individual if, uh, well, let me start with saying the long-term care premium actually is one of the items that can be used as deductible as a medical expense, assuming that when you add that with all your other medical expenses, it it crests the threshold of the 10% of the adjusted gross income. So premiums can be added into that mesh of all the other things that go with it. All right. So So. short answer is yes, maybe. Yes, maybe. (laughs) Go talk to your tax (laughs) professional. If you spend a whole lot of money in your health care, then sure. There you go. All right. Well, uh, last question of the show. As always, will we see the market up or down? Jacob, this week, what is it? Oh, goodness. We've had 10 straight record days on the dot. I think we pull back. I'm going to pull it, Jared. I think we pull back here. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. What do you say, Jim? I talk about insurance. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they know me. I'm a broken record guy. Troy Harmon, always up. (laughs) There you go. So uh, y'all take care. We'll talk to you next week. You're listening to Money Talks. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.